welcome to another episode of Touring the AFC South. I'm your host, Mike Patton. And on this episode, we're, we're, we're venturing out of the AFC South because, you know, I had a, I have a very special guest that, you know, is definitely someone that has taught me a lot of different things as well as he has seen and done a lot of things. That would be Mr. Pat Freeman. How are you doing? How is everything going? Oh, I'm Everything is great. I, uh, thank you for having me on uh, your show, and uh, it's a great pleasure. And uh, I'm very proud of the work that you're doing. And um, you know, I just think you're doing a great job. You're bringing um, the AFC South to life in a special way. I appreciate. It. I appreciate it. And of course, you know, I didn't mention. Of course, you are a veteran NFL reporter, radio guy, and also. A man that has seen many, many Super Bowls. We're going to get into that a little bit later into the show. But, of course, starting off the show, I do have to get off your chest segment. Uh, usually it's something either I'm frustrated about or something I want to bring to light. And, you know, I didn't really have one to kind of start this episode until maybe about a couple hours ago. And I was reading about Caleb Williams. Now, for those that aren't aware, he is the quarterback from USC that's plenty said would be the starting quarterback last year. Well, of course, this year they didn't do quite as well as everyone thought they would do. Then you got people complaining about him showing emotions and, you know, crying, things like that. Then you have people complaining about, oh, he's trying to say he doesn't want to go to this team, that team, the other, whatever. Um, come to find out, he does an interview and said, hey, I'd be happy to go to the Bears. Uh, I'd have, be happy to this, happy to the other. I just find it quite interesting then when it comes to black men and fathers, how the, the scenario gets spinned. I mean, I'll take it back to Cam Newton. Check that scenario out, how that got spinned and things like that. So, you know, to me, there is an agenda. It just seems like there is an agenda at play. You know, you make the, the quarterback who is a black quarterback look a certain type of way or he doesn't handle this a certain way or he's supposed to be like this and not like that. You know, just finding something just to pick at and then make it even a bigger scab or wound. And to me, it is very, very sad and sickening that every time you turn around, a star black quarterback, you got to find a way to bring him or, or, or they think bring him down to size. Oh, you're not supposed to be that big. You're supposed to be this. So to me, I had to talk about that. And it's just very frustrating to watch and see. And you just, you know, you always, and unfortunately, you always look to see at what angle they're going to come at now for a star black quarterback. Yeah, it seems to be uh, something that's happening all over the league. And uh, even in NCAAs, they uh, look at black quarterbacks differently along with uh, black coaches. Uh, this is something the Fritz Pollard Alliance uh, has been on top of for a lot of years. And, you know, you're seeing more and more black quarterbacks. Almost half the starters in the league now are black quarterbacks. And we're showing uh, that uh, this is just a position of opportunity. And we were not given the opportunity in years past. And now uh, the opportunities uh, are there. And with social media and everything else, you're hearing more and more uh, rumors and uh, personal uh, innuendos with black quarterbacks that you don't always see, uh, but they've got to persevere. Now, when you're in these 
positions of uh, high demand and the quarterback position is probably uh, one of the highest ranked positions in sports. It's just good to see that many black quarterbacks getting the opportunity. I, it just bothers me uh, sometimes the attacks that they are put through. We've seen this, like you said, with Cam Newton and others, uh, but uh, hopefully these things will subside and these guys are allowed to uh, compete at a very high level without the personal individuals. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping so. But, you know, of course, you know, even a quarterback that some people will, will like to call corny, Russell Wilson, he had to persevere through a, a coach that really didn't want him there and told him he needed to change, or, or sorry, organization that told him he needed to change his ir- injury guarantees or they were going to bench him. I don't think I've ever heard of a quarterback being told, you got to change your injury guarantees or we're going to bench you. Yeah, but- I've heard that either. Uh, I was shocked. And I've always admired Sean Payton, uh, especially from that Super Bowl against the Colts when he decided uh, to kick that onside kick after half. I thought that was the gutsiest coaching call that I have ever seen in a Super Bowl. But I was very, very surprised at how he treated uh, Russell Wilson. And I think some of that is from the amount of power uh, they're giving head coaches now. They're basically running uh, the football side of these organizations. And it's the same way here uh, in Western New York with Sean McDermott. He, he had a lot of people saying, oh, he should be fired. He can't get over the hump. I said, well, he runs the whole football side of the operation. You're not just firing Sean McDermott. You're going to fire the scouting department, the management, the marketing. He runs the whole thing. So you're not talking about just getting rid of one person uh, when a person has this amount of power. And Sean Payton has a tremendous amount of authority with the Denver Broncos. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of uh, frustrating to watch. Definitely, you know what he's become. It's almost like in the WWE when uh, Hulk Hogan went from being the guy everyone loved to being uh, you know the NWO leader. So it's almost kind of like in that sense. Yeah. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna kind of switch gears and get over to talking about you. Of course, we want to give you your props, give you your, give you your flowers, whatever however you want to call it, but. We got to find out more about you. So when did you first kind of get into radio and writing, if you don't mind me asking? Well, it started about 1994. Uh, I was given an opportunity to do radio at WFO Radio out of Buffalo, New York. And I started just doing a talk show where I was interviewing a lot of people, a lot of famous people. And uh, Sheila Brown approached me about, uh, who is the current owner of the station, uh, she talked to me about, you know, starting a sports segment at the station. And in 1995, I started, and uh, that was my first year uh, covering the Buffalo Bills. And my first interview was uh, future Hall of Famer Herman Thomas at the time. And he, at the time, wouldn't talk to the media, but he gave me an opportunity, and I've always been appreciative of that. And I've had great relationships with those. Uh, I came out on the tail end of those great Buffalo Bills 90 teams 
So I had an opportunity to interview DeAndre Reeves, Thurman Thomas, Jim Kelly, Bruce Smith, Cornelius Bennett, Daryl Talley, and all of them. Uh, they were just a great, great team, and that was the start of my huge coverage of the NFL, uh, which later led to me applying uh, for a Super Bowl credential. And at first, they didn't want to give it to me. You know, uh, the NFL was pretty strict. Uh, but I wouldn't give up, and I kept being persistent, and eventually uh, they uh, granted me that credential, and that was, they weren't very nice about it, Mike. I tell you, they were like, oh, no, we're not giving you this, we're not giving you this. And I kept calling. I called, uh, his name is Pete Abitante. He's the current executive vice president of uh, communications for the NFL. And I called him two, three times a day, and I just kept calling. And he he even had the bills call me and ask me to stop calling him on the phone. And I told uh, <laughs> Scott Birchfold, who was the executive vice president of uh, communications for the Buffalo Bills at the time, I just told him I can't do that. I, I have to keep fighting for what I believe is right. And if you want to take my bills credential, you can do that. He was like, no, no, that. I'm just letting you know what they said. You do what you got to do. And a few days later, uh, they granted me the credential uh, for the Super Bowl. And unfortunately, that week, uh, one of my best friends died in the fire, who I considered a big brother, uh, Victor Johnson. Uh, and I was unable to cover the first Super Bowl that I was credentialed for. But when I told this to Pete Abitante, he, he really was gracious. He said, man, you called me two or three times a day for two or three weeks. And, you know, I feel bad about your friend, but can I do this for you? He said, um, I respect a man that fights for what he believes in. And I'm going to make sure that you never have any trouble covering the Super Bowl again. And that was 24 Super Bowls later. And I've covered and credentialed uh, for actually 25 Super Bowls, but I've covered 24. That's amazing. That's amazing. So um, you talked about, you know, the Super Bowl. You talked about interviewing Thurman Thomas as your first interview. Um, would you consider that kind of your first break? Or would you say something else was like your first big break in the business? Well, I consider... Um, I kind of jumped into radio and writing at the same time. And uh, one of my elders, uh, Ted Kirkland, who has since retired from media, and uh, Dr. Eva Doyle, they gave me the best advice that I could ever uh, get at the beginning. Uh, Ted Kirkland told me to make sure you write. Eva Doyle told me to make sure you're consistent. And that was close to 30 years ago. And I, I think I tried to listen to them. But along the way, I met good people like Mike Patton. And I said, hey, you can write. You need to be a member of the Pro Football Writers of America. And last I checked, you are a member in good standing. And uh, I've tried to uh, spread uh, the cement of this industry to others like you. So the more of us, the better. And let's uh, 
bring some distinguishedness and color to the uh, spectrum of these Super Bowls and big events. Right, right. And, you know, I do have to talk about that. Like, you've been, like you mentioned, to 24 Super Bowls. You are a industry veteran. But you always are giving advice and giving back to those that are coming up. Um, what kind of inspired you to give back and kind of what has been one of the biggest lessons that you've learned in giving back? Well, I think the greatest compliment that in this industry or in any field is people that respect you. And I think you have to earn that respect. And that's why I've always reached out to uh, people like yourself. Hey, let's let's bring you in. I want you to be better, better than me. And that has always been the attitude. Raphael Haynes with three-point conversion. Uh, they have really, literally taken over uh, Radio Row. Uh, they have one of the best uh, interview systems going. Uh, those are guys that uh, I appreciate all of you. And, and if there's a kind word along the way that you can say about me, that I've helped you or inspired you, I think that's the greatest compliment that you can have in any field is those uh, that are younger than you or young in the field that you've tried to help. And so many instances, this is not a coin. Nobody really helped me. And um, I felt that I had to get to that maze. You covered a couple of Super Bowls. You know, that can be, it can be a bit intimidating if you don't know exactly what's going on. And I made a promise to myself that if I could help somebody avoid what I went through, uh, that's been my mission. And I think last year, uh, I got more than seven or eight individuals into the Pro Football Writers of America. And I keep telling them, uh, keep growing big, keep doing what you're doing, keep adding. Because if you don't do what you're doing like that, somebody else will. Point taken, point taken. Uh, I want to, of course, you know, take this moment to thank you just for all the wisdom, all the uh, just all the pushes. You know, you might not have said it, but I felt it uh, in terms of the pushes and in terms of doing different things. I want to say that I greatly appreciate you. Um, but, you know, of course, we do have to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we are going to talk about your new book, Maximizing the Game. Definitely can't wait to talk about that. We'll talk about that and more after the commercial break. You're on tour in the AFC South with your host, Mike Patton. A shift. A shift is something that happens and changes the dynamics. And that's what happened when Garrett Logistics was born. After 10 years as a sales pro in the logistics world of sporting goods, John Garrett decided to pivot to the world of freight and start a brokerage. So you're saying to yourself, why trust Garrett Logistics? Well, Garrett Logistics helps shippers improve overall workflow, along with increased on-time pickup and delivery percentages. Last-minute loads, multi-drop pickups, and more are part of the services with Garrett Logistics. They're available Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Saturday, 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. All times Central Standard Time. So give them a ring at 615-400-8484. That's 615 615- Four zero zero eight four eight four, or you can email them at john at garrettlogistics.co or visit their website at garrettlogistics.co. 
Garrett Logistics, where the motto is, it's not just freight to us, it's your business. All right, and we are back on Tour in the AFC South with your host, Mike Patton. And before we left for commercial break, we talked about a nice project that you have and your second book. You know, I haven't, I, I, I'm, I'm going to get it. I'm going to definitely get the book. It's called Maximizing the Game. Now, for those that aren't aware of any, you know, the book or anything like that, we're going to get into that. I want to ask you, what inspired you to write Maximizing the Game? Well, I met a tremendous uh, media person about a couple of years ago and found out that she is also a publisher and she just pushed me and pushed me. You need to, you got to maximize what you've done. I don't know too many people that have covered 24 Super Bowls and you got to talk about some of the things that have happened to you along the way and talk about how it benefit others because you're always talking about you're trying to uh, help others and she was the one that really inspired me uh, to write this particular book and pushed me uh, to get it done in a timely fashion. It was even released on uh, Super Bowl Sunday. She's just that good. And if you're thinking about writing a book, uh, you need to get with BMH uh, Publishing because uh, she is very, very best I have worked with. And uh, she really pushed me past the limit to bring the best uh, out of me. And you need those type of people in this industry sometimes uh, to motivate you to do the things that you need to get done. And that's a book that I've been working on for the longest, uh, but when I met her, she just literally demanded, I need four chapters now. Get it done. <laughs> oh, man. I really owe a lot to Miss Vicki Jones. Uh, to me, she's the best in the industry. And she does a lot more than just publishing. She has BMH Magazine, uh, BMH Sports. Uh, she is really uh, one of the most talented media people that I've ever met. And she is just a joy to work with. And but she's gonna push me now. I mean, she's gonna get the best <laughs> out of you. <laughs> All right. Now, of course, you mentioned 24 Super Bowls. Um, wow, you know, I know in those 24 Super Bowls, there's definitely got to be some lessons that you have learned over those 24 Super Bowls. I mean, I don't want to get too deep into the book. But is there maybe one you could kind of give us in terms of a lesson? Well, you know, just from the experience, um, I don't know if you remember, because you were, that's when we met in, at the Minneapolis Super Bowl. And yes, if sir. you remember, there was a fight on Radio Row uh, between two guys from Houston that had beef with one another. <laughs> and before I knew it, man, blows were being thrown. And you don't expect that in that type of uh, scene, you know. And of course, those guys were escorted out and banned from the NFL. But uh, that was one of the experiences that uh, I, it just blew my mind. And then that first 
Super Bowl, Super Bowl 34, I thought was one of the best games ever played. Uh, that was the Tennessee Titans and the St. Louis Rams. And I really thought uh, Steve McNair uh, played as hard as you could see anybody play along with Eddie George, and uh, but they just could not overcome the greatest show on turf. And uh, I really feel uh, from that team, uh, you've got some legitimate Hall of Famers and they need to add Tory Holt to that list. Right, right, right. So I'm going to ask, um, you know, of course, you, you mentioned some of your, you, you know, your last, your things that you remember, things like that. But what is probably one of your most memorable interviews you've done at Super Bowl at the Radio Row? I would say it was Mike Tom because, uh, <laughs> you know, getting the winning head coaches, that's a challenge. And uh, we were in Tampa. And I kept, you know, kept going out there trying to get his attention. And um, I kept getting beat out. And all of a sudden, Mike Tomlin, he just turned and said, I need to answer this question from this brother right here. <laughs> I thought, he's talking about me. <laughs> And you know the question left my head, right? So I had to come up with something real quick. Uh, but I've never forgotten uh, how he did that. And every time I see him, I always uh, greet him with the utmost respect. I think he's one of the greatest uh, coaches in the history of this league. And I think uh, what he's done in Pittsburgh is going to earn him a, a call to Canton, Ohio. I can definitely second and third that because Mike Tomlin, a.k.a. Omar Epps II, <laughs> definitely can do some coach some football. He can definitely coach some football. And I hear all the Pittsburgh fans talking about, oh, well, you know, he's he's got all these winning records, but he's never won anything in the playoffs. I'm like, look, that coach right there is the MacGyver of NFL coaches. If you look at that staff, I mean, that's not the staff, but the, the players. Name me five, maybe five players on that offense or five players on the defense. I don't think you can go that far into doing that. Maybe three, but you ain't naming five or six. No. no. So, and to me, in all the injuries, the quarterback issues they had, pulling Mason Rudolph to be the quarterback, and I'm like, okay, he's doing <laughs> all these things. He made Mason Rudolph look like somebody. And I'm like, you know, this is the same guy that got beat over the head with a helmet by Miles Garrett, um, you know, a while back. But, you know, it's just all these different things. And he makes this team still look like a team that is ready to make a playoff run, even after some of the bad performances. Right. But yet you still think you're going to get a better coach than Mike Tomlin. I, I just, every time someone says that, I'm like, who? Who are you, who you replacing him with? Right. Who's going to give you a chance to win every single game that he coaches? I don't think you're going to find another Mike Tomlin. Absolutely. And I think management did him a serious injustice by keeping uh, Ben Roethlisberger maybe two or three years too long. Uh, ben was in bad shape towards the end. And those are decisions by uh, management. And um, 
they really kept Ben just a little bit too long. And I think that hurt uh, Mike Tomlin in not being able to develop the adequate replacement in, in good time. Right, right. Man, you know, uh, hearing about these Super Bowl stories and hearing about, uh, it said Vicki Jones, what's her name? Oh, yeah, Vicki Jones. She's the yes. uh, publisher and CEO of VMA Magazine, VMA Sports, VMA Publishing. Uh, she is just a gem in media, just a, a great person. Well, first thing is I'm going to have to meet her. I'm going to ask you about that. And then secondly, I'm over here, uh, like, put me in the game, Coach, because I'm ready to re-maximize the game. You know, I'm excited to see what 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 all she pushed you to create. And, you know, you, you're talking about the stories. You're talking about the, the, the 24 Super Bowls. I'm just like, man, there has got to be some great things in maximizing the game. And, you know, thank you for, for kind of going into that book and talking about that book. But I would be remiss if I didn't ask you a few things about the Buffalo Bills since you do talk about the Buffalo Bills and do, you know, cover and have interviewed and done a lot of things with the Buffalo Bills. I have to ask you about this team. And of course, it's free agency. So, you know, I got questions about free agency. And one of their top free agents is Mr. Gabe Davis, wide receiver. You know, some think he should be paid. Some think he should be gone. What is your opinion on Gabe Davis and if he should stay or go in Buffalo? Well, unfortunately, Gabe's time in free agency has come when the bills are about $51 million over the cap. So they can't really afford Gabe Davis right now until they make a, a lot of moves. But I like Gabe Davis. I think, man, you go back and watch the film of the Kansas City Chiefs game that they lost in 13 seconds. Gabe Davis put forth one of the greatest playoff performances in the NFL history. He's he's earning a big game game. And I would be remiss if I did not say that it was my hope the Bills could resign. Now the rumor came out today that possibly the Chiefs might sign him and that would be terrible. <laughs> so oh boy. You know the Bills are They've got to clear some cap space. And in doing that, they're going to have to renegotiate some of their big contracts. And also, they might have to release uh, some players uh, that aren't really in their future. Now, if Von Miller uh, gets uh, convicted of uh, his situation uh, with the domestic charge, the Bills have an out in his contract that he can be released. Now, if that doesn't happen, uh, the Bills have a lot of money invested in a 35-year-old uh, outside linebacker, which I never agreed with that contract. I always think you need to develop young players. Quick fixes with older veterans is usually a recipe for salary cap disaster. And that's where the Bills are right now. Uh, they're about $51 million over the cap. I believe they're going to put the first draft pick of the uh, Sean McDermott era, and that's going to be Tredavious White. I don't think Tredavious White would be brought back 
He's missed uh, 43 games in three years, and I think he's making about 17, 17, 18 million dollars a year. So I don't look to see him come back. I would also think they need to look at cutting Mitch Morris, the longtime center. Uh, I think they can cut him and save about seven, eight million dollars against the cap. So they've got some work to do before we even get into can they sign any free agents. But the Bills, I think one of their biggest uh, errors was signing Vaughn Miller. And and Vaughn came in, don't get me wrong. Vaughn could still play. But older players, as you know, they get hurt. They get injuries. You know, he had a lot of tread on those tires. And uh, he tore his ACL, and they tried to bring him back this year. He was a shell of himself, uh, but he started looking better towards the end of the year, and if they do have to keep him, hopefully he can still play. Yeah, I was going to ask you about him, and, uh, you know, to me, definitely that case looms large over whether he comes back or not, uh, but even if, let's say, let's say he, he is not convicted in this case, do you think they can actually negotiate or, or restructure his deal to where he could actually stay in Buffalo, honestly? Well, if you look at his contract, they're kind of stuck. So the best they can do is put some money in his pocket and stretch him out into the future as far as they can. But really, Mike, that's just not a good contract. I think Brandon Bean has done a lot of good things. Uh, but that was not one of them. And I don't separate the two people because McDermott and Bean are a package deal. And McDermott is the head guy. So everybody will come up, we're going to fire Sean McDermott. Yeah, he's going to be firing a whole football department. And that includes Brandon Bean, who has won executive of the year. He had six out of seven years with a a winning program in 17 years I covered the Bills before then, we didn't even smell the playoffs. <laughs> this has been a beautiful run for me and uh, the rest of the media of Western New York. I hear you there. Now, one other guy I want to ask you about, and he's always talked about, that would be Stephon Diggs. Now, Stephon Diggs got paid another nice contract by the Buffalo Bills. However... Oh, yeah. Of course, you know, the, the rumbles of the issues maybe with Josh Allen or his brother actually getting on social media and saying he needs to be out of there. Do you really think that he could potentially leave this offseason? No. If you look at his contract, go to Spotrack, look at Stephon Diggs' contract, look at the guaranteed money. If the Bills release Stephon Diggs, they will – still owe him a lot of money. They guaranteed him a lot of money, which he deserved. I mean, this guy has been a top receiver since he's been in Buffalo. You can't argue with the production, the off, you know, drama with the Instagram, cryptic messages and everything else. I don't think they're too fond of. And uh, the drama with Josh Allen both of them have downplayed it, but I think it's a little bit more than both will admit. But the guy is a great player. He's not being used very well. Uh, Brady, who they've given the full, uh, they took the interim offensive coordinator 
title off of him, but since he took over, Diggs' production went down. And I, I didn't understand how they were using it, and especially against uh, Kansas City in that playoff game. That was a disaster. So Brady had some work to do uh, during the offseason, but no, Stephon Diggs, in my side, unless Buffalo is willing to take a hit, uh, he will be a Buffalo Bill for the next couple of years. Yeah, uh, and I, I'd like to put a message out there as well. Everyone talking about the Buffalo Bills offense and it looking better when Brady took over and things like that. I'm not sold on Brady as the no. offensive coordinator, nor was I ever sold on him being the interim offensive coordinator. Sure, they committed to run the football more, which they haven't done in years. Right. However, you still have to incorporate your best players. And to me, it also looked like Kincaid took over for Knox at tight end. And you you know, you you're gonna need both of those tight ends if you're gonna make a run. Well, but, you know that's another question too, Mike, is that Dawson Knox had wrist surgery and mm-hmm. Dalton Kincaid had the six best games of his career. Mm-hmm. When you brought Dawson Knox back, Kincaid the double tight end set, which they call 12 man, mm-hmm. it didn't work that well. And uh, Dawson Knox to me is okay, but he's not a second contract tight end. Not when you draft Dalton Kincaid, it didn't make any sense. I thought the Bills really wanted flowers, and I thought the Ravens threw them off a little bit. And they ended up taking Dalton Kincaid. He was really plan B in last year's draft. But Dawson Knox is making good money, and you've got a, a promising young tight end, and you've got another guy, Morris, who's to me, he's your second tight end. You need to you need to find somebody to take Dawson Knox off your hands in that contract. Yeah, I, I definitely thought that uh, there would be some some chance that Dawson would have a new address next season. I especially thought that when he was out and, you know, Dalton Kincaid was doing his thing. But you kind of confirmed some thoughts that I had in yeah. terms of that. But, uh, you know, last thing I want to ask you is the draft. Up. What is a key thing that the Buffalo Bills need in this year's draft? To come out of this draft, they need what? They need another corner. Another linebacker and definitely a, a second receiver because I think Gabe Davis is gone. Um, these are positions that you can find in the draft, and I think they need another edge rusher, uh, a young one. And they keep giving these older guys one year contracts. And the Bills have a good nucleus, and as long as they have that nucleus, and a franchise quarterback, they're going to do well. And I tell you what, the offensive line was, I think, only one player missed one play the entire season. So that's a good sign, too. Uh, The only veteran person on that offensive line is Mitch Morris, but his replacement is already there. Uh, uh, They've got another guy that can play uh, as well as Mitch Morris who's under contract that I'm thinking that it's time to park company with uh, Mitch Morris and uh, as they try to clear some salary for him. But one thing about Sean McDermott, one 
complaint I've had about him. He's a very nice guy. But he has a tendency to keep guys around a little too long. Uh, he has a lot of loyalty uh, to some of his players. And I thought they should have let Mitch Morris go uh, last year. And they would have saved uh, $6.5 million against the Cavs. Uh, they brought him back, but I think this is the year you need to say goodbye to Mitch Morris. Well, it's definitely going to be interesting up there in New York, in the, uh, was it Western New York? So it's going to be very, very interesting to see who they keep, who goes, who gets traded, who gets released, and who gets brought back in a new contract. But, yeah, uh, we definitely have hit the end of the show, but, of course, there is always a game at the end of the show. We've got five questions, two answers, and one choice. Could be music, could be sports, could be anything. Pat, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, we're gonna start this off with music. We got one concert. Are you are you taking Earth, Wind, and Fire, or are you taking Maze featuring Frankie Beverly? Wow, two <laughs> great great groups. But I would go with Earth, Wind, and Fire. I'm just okay. fired. I miss Morris White. I hate to see them getting older, Frankie Beverly too. But their music will live forever, and I'm an Earth Wind and Fire guy for, for real. You know the reasons. The reasons what? Woof, what? I don't even go into that one. Right. Good stuff. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, of course, we got to talk. Uh, which one do you enjoy more? This is the second one, writing or radio? Hmm. That's hard. I think radio. Because you, okay. you get to act out, and I always try to be more entertaining than anything else. I kind of miss doing radio, um, and I, I think radio has always been my favorite. Okay. All right. Next one, I got another good competition for you. You've got another concert you want to go to. The OJs or the Temptations? Man, I, I've <laughs> recently been to see both. Uh, I think the Temptations I would prefer to go see, even though uh, I miss Eddie Kendricks. I love Paul Williams. And you know, they just were probably one of the great groups of all time, along with the OJ. I mean, great group group, but I think I'd rather go see the Tempting Temptation. Okay. All right. All right. Now we're going to go Buffalo Bills with this next question. We got Thurman Thomas or Andre Reed. Uh, you got to pick one that you say is, that's my that's my Buffalo Bill. Which player are you taking? Andre Reed. Andre Reed. Is one of the finest. Both of them are great, great people. Great, great people. But Andre Reed, to me, is one of the greatest players I've ever seen. Fourth round draft pick, worked his way into NFL condition and got better every single year. Should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer, and so should Thurman Town. Now, that's an interesting story. I thought Herman Thomas was not a first ballot Hall of Famer because that year Larry Felzer had retired and it was the first time Mark Vaughn 
who was the Hall of Fame voter, presented Thurman Thomas. I believe if Larry Pelzer would have presented Thurman Thomas, nobody would have went against him because he was one of three guys at the time that had covered every single Super Bowl. And um, that's the reason I believe that Thurman Thomas was not a first ballot Hall of Famer. He ended up being a second ballot Hall of Famer. And with Andre Reed, it's just that log jam at the wide receiver position. He eventually got in. But I think all of that core team, Thurman Thomas, Jim Kelly, Bruce Smith, Andre Reed, all should have been first ballot Hall of Famer. Okay. All right. All right. And the last one. This is a good music one, too. All right. We got Curtis Mayfield or we got Marvin Gaye. Which one are you going with? That's difficult. But <laughs> I found out, you know, with the new movie about Bob Marley coming out, that it was Curtis Mayfield that uh, wrote One Love. So I would probably pick uh, Curtis Mayfield. And he, he, he wrote some great, great music. And his soundtrack as Superfly was just memorable. <laughs> you know? Yes. So definitely. I would, both of them are great. And because of the diversity of uh, Curtis Mayfield and some of the music he wrote, I would probably say Curtis Mayfield. Well, Curtis Mayfield never, never put out a bad song ever, 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 ever. <laughs> so, you know, I don't think, I still don't think he gets the respect he deserves. No, no. He doesn't at all. But hey, it's five questions, two answers, and one choice. We are all wrapped up. I want to thank you, Mr. Pat Freeman, Mr. Lombardi himself, 24 Super Bowls in a row. Yes, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, can you tell everyone, of course, where they can find your book? Also, can you tell everyone uh, where they can find you on social media? Well, you can uh, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, now X, which formerly known as Twitter. Uh, but you can find me on all social media, TikTok. I also, uh, I have a food truck in Atlanta, the ATL Phillies. Uh, one of my businesses uh, that I started a couple of years ago. And uh, you can find me there. Uh, purchase the book or Barnes & Noble. They're available, um, you know, right now. I'd appreciate it. It's number 36 on Amazon, and hopefully it keeps moving up uh, the bestseller list. And I really appreciate those uh, that supported my efforts. Uh, but the greatest effort that I've had is guys like yourself. And if I could do anything to continue to assist you in becoming greater than what you are, uh, then that is good enough for me. Well, I greatly appreciate you again. The kind words over there, you know, definitely appreciate it. And just thank you for all the, the help, the guidance, the kicks that you gave me to kind of push me to go forward. I greatly appreciate that. And for those listening to the show, of course, or watching, uh, of course, my name is Mike Patton. I'm the host, producer of Touring the ASC South. Of course, you can find me on the artist formerly known as Twitter. You know, you like that when, you know, going, you know, showing props to Prince. But uh, the artist formerly known as Twitter, uh, you can find me on there at Mike Patton 82 That's M-I-K-E-P-A-T-T-O-N-82 on the artist formerly known as Twitter. And you can find me on 
Instagram and threads at the, that's T-H-A, not T-H-E, underscore, general, underscore, M-P. Of course, you can find Toy in the AAC South on all listening platforms, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, IR Radio, Amazon Music, you name it, we are there. And also, you can find the show on YouTube if you'd like to actually watch it. I want to thank you all again for tuning in to this episode of Tour in the AFC South. We're out. Peace. Take care, buddy.